cinephiles, audiophiles, ladies and germs, welcome to the Film Cult Podcast. We're here again at another film festival, this time Montreal, Canada. It's Fantasia 2021. Uh, let's just start it off, because honestly, there are some films that you, some past films that you need to go recheck out, some new films that you need to go check out in the near future. You got Prisoners of Ghostland. Uh, Sion Sono. It's the new Nicolas Cage film. Uh, it's wild. It might be the wildest of the modern Nicolas Cage films yet. You absolutely need to check that film out. Uh, next was The Warped Forest. Um, fantastic. That's from 2011. Uh, it's worth checking out. Hopefully it's going to start getting a proper release now. Um, another film uh, from 1993 actually fireworks should we see it from the side or the bottom that is a film that uh gonna get some like ni- it's a nice restoration process um hopefully you're gonna start seeing that more and more and more around uh, another film wonderful paradise uh, i'm pretty sure by this point everybody has seen the suicide squad but it uh it played here at fantasia so uh yeah, if you haven't seen it, you need to see it. It really, um, <laughs> it's it's definitely a lot better than the, than the first film. It's uh, it's it's a good, it's it's a good turning point for DC right now. It'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Um, from nineteen ninety eight, they also played April Story, another great little film, and actually from nineteen eighty eight. There was another film, uh, Act of Violence in a Young Journalist. Both of those films I highly recommend you checking out. Um, getting a little bit more into the horror side of the festival this year, you had Hellbender. Just more genre pictures like Ida Red, Fruit, King Knight, The Lovers, Progressive Touch. But uh, But I got to sit down with two filmmakers from two very fantastic films from the festival. Mickey Reese making his film Agnes and uh, a kind of a Canadian legend, Mark O'Brien doing his directorial debut with the righteous. And yeah, let's get into the interviews with that. Uh, Mark O'Brien and Mickey Reese. Well, Mark, how does it feel to maybe have the most buzzworthy buzzworthy film of all of Fantasia right now? Oh my God. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how true that is, but I'll take it. Um, it's exciting, man. I worked really hard on it and, um, and I'm just glad that, you know, human beings are going to see it and even live, uh, which is, um, rare these days. So uh, I'm just, I'm just excited, man. What do you think it is about us Canadians always going for darker subject matter? Like and and a lot of our our writings are weird sex and snowshoes and and we have this mentality when when we want to put our vision to screen why do you think that is i don't know man maybe we got to blame cronenberg um oh <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, wait where are you where am i talking to you from i'm in calgary you're in calgary oh cool my sister lives in calgary um nice um Anyway, it's, it's nice to meet you because I'm just seeing you for the first time here. Um, I don't know. I, I guess it's uh, it, it's so hard to say. I will say this. Like, let's just look at it in a, in a very in technical ways um, and logistical ways. Um, if you don't have that much money, 
but you want to make a stamp, a genre film is a great way to do that. Um, that could be one thing. Uh, that's not really the way I looked at it, but it's like, um, in market-wise, it could be a financial thing as well, too. Like, you know what I mean? Like, genre films sell, and you don't always need a ton of money. So maybe it could even have started there in some sort of way. But, like, I don't know, as soon as you say it, Cronenberg just popped to my head, like, the brood and stuff. I mean, you know, we owe so much to Cronenberg as Canadian filmmakers um, that, that, it's, that it's actually ridiculous. Like, it, it's like a joke. <laughs> like, he, I, know, I know he's not the first Canadian filmmaker, but my God... He, he started so much, he kind of he kind of made Canadian films commercial and, and really put himself on a map in, in a way that was like exciting entertainment, but also thought provoking. And then and then he got loved in, in Europe and everything, which I think helped Canada a lot as well. So I don't know, I immediately just think someone like Cronenberg is such an influence on all Canadian filmmakers and, and myself, massively so. Um, so that would be my answer, David Cronenberg. Well, you mentioned you didn't really look at it that way. Why did you decide to do genre for this big first, like, kind of stance and, and trademark as a filmmaker? Well, I'll tell you, that's a good question, Robert. I, I, I feel like um, uh, I was never into um, genre films or horror films at all, particularly, or sci-fi films, to, to be that, to be to be honest. I um, I'm a... I'm a film nerd, um, as it, you appear to be with all the films there, which I love seeing because I collect physical copies myself. I don't like to stream things. Um, so I'm a cinephile and uh, I, I think I got to the point in watching movies that I was like, there's a whole bunch of movies that skipped over here. <laughs> like, like I, I'm a huge film noir fan. So I was like, oh, I watched all the noir films and, and I've watched all the greats, uh, all the best directors, all the international directors. like. I'm, I'm all the criterions, all the twilight times, like, you know what I mean? I'm running out of movies here. And I think I kind of just started like five or six years ago. I was like, I gotta try this. Like kind of started with Don't Look Now, I think many, many years ago. Um, and, and then I liked more like those high, high brow kind of ones. And, and then I got into like the Wicker Man and, and kind of, it just started to grow from there. And I started to really see the craft of it and, and how it made sense. And then it got to a point where um, I remember Andrew Nichol, a director who um, did Lord of War and Gattaca. I worked with him on a movie called Anon. And I remember he said um, he loves sci-fi because it's a Trojan horse to tell another story. Because you can hook you with the sci-fi. And I feel like that's true with, with, with horror films or, and, and thrillers and psychological dramas and all kinds of stuff. Because... It's just, it's just more of a hook. It's just more interesting. It's not like our regular everyday to day life. If I start a movie with a guy walking to the grocery store and then he meets a girl, it's a meet cute and they kind of get along and then he goes home and he's not sure if he's going to call her. And then you know what? He does call her. Turns out she has a boyfriend and it turns out that, you know what I mean? She works for the CIA and now he's embroiled in this plot. That's not bad, but you know what's even more interesting? He goes to the grocery store, he meets a girl, gets her number, he calls her, there's no answer. Then his phone calls and it sounds like something on the other line, but we don't know what it is. And then all of a sudden it turns out she's a vampire. Like, that's just like, whoa, I need to know what happens. It just, it wallops you over the head a bit harder. And I, I just think it gives you more avenues to tell like a, a great story. Not unlike how something like Chinatown like starts with like Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, LA, crime. And then it tells you about like the history of LA and how water was like stolen from people and used. Like, so you have this avenue to tell something bigger and greater or even smaller and more human, but you got a chance to suck people in and it's just more exciting and interesting. And also it gives you more possibilities 
you have more chances to, to, to do things, to get away with things. I, I'm a big believer in a film, can anything can happen. There's nothing I hate more when it's like, you know, you watch something and you're like, ooh, that car, the way that hit that other car would never, it would never twist in that way. It's like, who cares, it's a movie. You know what, um, like, Kurt Russell's not also not a stuntman in a movie who kills people. Like, you know, it's just like, it doesn't matter. We know it's a movie, so just fall into the story and let the story um, go in any direction it wants to go. Well, it could be said that this is the modern day uh, Night of the Hunter. How much did that film play a role in this film? And did you really, is it, to tie that in a little bit, how hard was it to kind of find the art that you wanted growing up? Were you, was it easy to get the kinds of films that you wanted to see? Uh, no, it wasn't. First of all, saying it's anything like Night of the Hunter is the greatest compliment of all time. Uh, I'm obsessed with that film, and there's something so badass about Charles Lawton making one movie, and it's a banger like Night of the Hunter. <laughs> it's, it's, it's something like, else. Like Tarantino going out on 10, you're like, whoa, what a legend. I'm like, Charles Lawton going out on one, and it was that one? You are the supreme legend, my friend. Um, I, that movie influenced me so much because that film was the first time I watched something and I said a film, and I saw a film can be a nightmare. This film is a nightmare. It is not real. There's something surreal about it and the shadows and the way he's chasing you and in a dream, you can never get away from the bad guy. You can never quite escape. And like everything about it was heightened just enough. It's such a fine line. It's like Lynch. It's like, it's such a fine line. That, that he, he tightropes in that movie to make it believable, but also like sort of surreal. And I think that's what catches you even more. But to answer your other question, it, it was tough. I mean, I used to go to the, uh, I'd go to see movies, but uh, you know, there were only so many that played in Newfoundland. And, and, uh, and back then in the nineties too, like, you know, there weren't as many movies coming out as well. So we would rent movies a lot and um, I'd go to, and then when I got really into movies, I'd go to HMV and I'd, buy everything that was when criterions were like 60 bucks and i would that would be like a huge thing i'm gonna buy like this i remember buying seventh seal and i was like oh my god i'm gonna drop like 54 dollars on this or whatever <laughs> and then it was um to be honest it was uh blockbuster because blockbuster used to they would have the foreign films and stuff like that they had everything i remember calling asking for citizen kane when i was like 17 or 18 i was like Do you guys have it they had it it's like, wow, they actually have Citizen Kane. And, uh, and, and then they would sell previously viewed. And previously viewed videos, great. Everybody wins. They get to sell off all these extra copies they have, and I get to buy a movie for eight bucks. So I had, hunt, I mean, I have thousands of movies still, but I had to sell off some of them or get rid of some of them, give them away because I had so many because I'd buy every previously viewed. I'd buy every movie. I'd be like, because I, I need to watch it several times. I need to own it. I, it's a weird possessive thing I have. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of access, to be honest. And nowadays, I mean, there's so much that I have to save some films. Like, I'm like, that I've seen a bunch. I'm like, I gotta wait till the Criterion's gonna crack that one. I'm gonna wait <laughs> to watch it until then, like birth Jonathan Glazer's great movie or something like that, um, which you can't find anywhere and I don't wanna stream it. So um, it, it was tough. It was tough to find the movies, but in a way it's great because I'm still finding them now. So I'm glad I didn't find them all back then. How important was it for you to sprinkle that like Newfoundland sensibility into this film? Because it, it's there. It really is there. Yeah, it's a feeling. To me, it was an environmental thing. There's a feeling in your bones in Newfoundland that most people, uh, most Newfoundlanders would complain about. I've certainly been one of them. But it's a feeling in your bones. It's just so cold that you can't shake. And I felt like this film also had that. It should be something you can't shake. You just can't shake it. You, you're 
you're thinking about it. You're playing the last act two days after you've watched it in, in your head that doesn't exist. Like you need to, you're like, so what would happen then? And I love the audience being a bit. And Newfoundland just, it was an, such an environmental thing. There was so much in the script that I actually took out of the script and then took out of the cut of like, um, like the, the, the wind and the trees and that feeling. And I've always been influenced by that with filmmakers from Terrence Malick to, to Jonathan Glazer, like in Under the Skin or something like that, where it's like that cold, wet environment um, was very important. And then on top of it, it was the making of the film. I do believe that the, the community that makes the film makes the film better. And I, I, I'm a, I love Newfoundland and I love everyone there. I did a show there for six years, so I know that crew very, very well. Um, and it's not just one crew, but I know the whole crew of people there who work in the film business. And I just love them and I have fun. And um, I was really excited to go back home and and, and share that experience with everyone. And, uh, and I hope they enjoyed it. What would you say the hardest part of making this film was? Oh, um, we had seven days of prep, um, which is completely crazy. And I was shooting the Blue Bayou that's coming out in a month. I was shooting that in New Orleans. And I had four days, I had five, day, five or six days off. So I had enough to travel to two days of travel and four days to prep. So I went to Newfoundland about a month before we shot, prepped for four days, flew back to New Orleans, which is not a direct flight from St. John's to New Orleans, and shot for three more weeks on Blue Bayou, and then went back to Newfoundland, prepped three more days, and then we started shooting the next day. So that was for your first feature that you're starring in as well. So that was, and you're in black and white. That was definitely um, hard, um, but to be honest, I knew this film inside and out, and not because I'm a, I'm a stupendous filmmaker, but because it was mine to tell. So you can't, I couldn't take it away from myself. So the hardest part really is when you're losing things on the day, your vision ends up becoming your vision of what's left over after your vision's been torn to pieces just by the day and the weather and everything. So um, to be honest, to answer your question, I wish I had an answer because those things should have been hard, but I loved doing it so much and I was so committed to what I wanted to tell that it wasn't hard, it was a blessing. It was. It was just great. <laughs> it was just awesome. Like, I know that's weird, but it was. Would you say this is the closest we're going to get to a director's cut? Is this the director's cut? Or would you say that there I, is still stuff I, on the cutting room floor? I, there's stuff left on the cut. Our first cut was two weeks after we wrapped. We had a cut of an hour and 48 minutes. And the movie's an hour and 37. So there were suggestions. Um, I have full, full control. And uh, I cut a couple scenes that... that were hard to cut, but they were my call. And uh, and I'm really happy. It's important to me too. Like, you know, I always liked watching films. Like, like I remember when I got into Woody Allen movies, it was like, they're all 90 minutes, great. <laughs> like, there is something kind of, um, we all look at a running time. If it's Tarantino or Nolan, it's a bit different because you can't get enough. But like, when you see a new movie that everyone's talking about, it's two hours and 45 minutes. You're like, oh gosh. Like, you know what I mean? If it's not P.T. Anderson, you might not really want to do that. So that's always in my mind too, that you're serving an audience. You've got to make it enjoyable. You have to hit the beats of the story continuing forward. And um, and that was important, very important. Well, I think it's important that you have little things sprinkled in here. Like you have elements of the salesman, for instance, in the, in this yeah. film. So it's it, it really comes across that you have a knowledge for film. How much... I guess, time did you spend looking at other things when, when you were originally working on this screenplay and coming up with the idea? 
or were you trying to just have that in the back burner and, and not really be influenced a whole lot by other filmmakers? I think the influence I have from other filmmakers is so embedded in me. It's just who I am. I, I, I literally watch these movies uh, uh, maybe hundreds of times, like all these favorite movies of mine, which is lists of hundreds. I watch probably almost two movies a day. So um, I think the, the films of, of, of Dreyer, Bergman and, and Tarkovsky and Lanthimos and, um, and Denis Villeneuve and, and, and Cronenberg, like these movies are, um, are just a, a part of me. Like I, I, I live and breathe them. I think about them all, all the time. Um, so I think that that was a part of it. But then there's a technical aspect too that you need to share your vision with, with your team too. And I had a wonderful, I mean, the film is beautifully shot. Scott McClellan, he's a good friend of mine and Jason Clark, the production designer. We're all very good friends too, the three of us. So we had a great communication, but just because I'm living and breathing those films, I need everyone else to be in the same ballpark that I'm in. Um, so I, I gave them a list of films and I gave Henry Cherney a list of films too. So I was like, these are the movies, just for tone. Like you don't need to watch them all, but like it's tone. So when I was in New Orleans, uh, I would send Scotty, me and Scotty would talk every single night. And I was, and then I did the rewatches of like, um, of uh, Cries and Whispers and uh, Passion of Joan of Arc. And Passion of Joan of Arc, for example, like you take certain things like, like I never want to steal. It's just, you. I'm not stealing from life when I take something from life and put it in a movie. Just like I'm not stealing from a movie when I take it from a movie. It just, it appealed to me. I, it, had, it had resonance with me. And it was very important that, especially my face in the film, be very, very pale. Almost like he's death. And part of that, honestly, I got from um, two sources which was the Passion of Joan of Arc. I loved the pale face, and I don't know why it connected to the movie. I just loved it. I was like, it needs to be pale. And to be honest, death and Bill and Ted's <laughs> adventure, there's just something about that feeling. See, I was going to say, or were you going to say The Seventh Seal? But <laughs> Bill and Ted also to be works. honest, I kept picturing William Sadler in, in Bill and Ted. I was just like, there's something about that, that that just, your eye goes there. Your eye just goes there. And it's funny, I rewatched The Seventh Seal before filming too, because I also didn't want to be taking too much from it. I was like, oh, is my movie too much like this? Which it's not. But I also found, I forgot how much that movie they spend with the, with the circus. There's so much in that movie with the circus. You, when we think back on that movie, it's so weird. It's almost like the Berenstein Bears thing. When you think back <laughs> on The Seventh Seal, you're like, oh yeah, um, um, uh, uh, oh my god what Max von Sydow and then they just sit there and talk for the whole movie that's what it is you watch it half that movie's a circus movie I was like well <laughs> what did I think this was um so it's it's so different so I didn't end up taking from that as much as I thought I just love the philosophical uh conceit of Seventh Seal so much um that that had an influence for sure well Mark what can we expect from you coming up well, I, you know, I, I definitely want to make another film. I mean, I, I've, I've written about 15 movies in the past five years and, and, uh, and a lot of them are, are genre. And um, I'm excited about each and every one of them. It's tough to make a movie. And, and to be honest, like, I, I'm so excited about Fantasia and the release of this film, and it means so much to me. And, and now I'm at the point where I, the, my number one thing is I hope everybody gets something out of it that's different. I would love to have like a focus group. We did actually screen it for people and did like a test audience, but I'd I wasn't there because of the pandemic, but I'd love to be in a room and just see what everyone got from it, like to read their thoughts. That's the number one thing for me. And number two is I, I hope it allows me to keep doing it because I love acting and filmmaking uh, in all the same realm. So, 
So I'd love to make another film. Uh, I, I have that film, Blue Bayou, coming out in September. And right now, I'm actually in Chicago right now. I'm filming a series for AMC called 61st Street. So it's, um, it's two seasons. It's a limited series of two seasons, eight episodes and then eight episodes. So it's a 16-episode shoot. It's an eight-month shoot. So I've been here for five months. I have three more. And uh, it's from the creator of Your Honor, Peter Moffat, the one with the series with Brian Cranston, and Michael B. Jordan as a producer as well. And it still stars um, myself and um, Courtney B. Vance and uh, Holt McCallany, who I'm sure you know from Mindhunter and and, um, and Anjou Ellis. So it's a real, it's a cast of uh, very strong actors, and it's a really strong uh, script about the Chicago justice system and the police department. And uh, I think it's really going to resonate with people. I think it's going to come out sometime next year. But but that's what I'm up to now. And just before I got on with you, I was tightening up my next script. So I'm just keeping busy. And I mean, I, I can't stop myself. I kind of wish I could, actually. It'd be nice. I'm, I'm really excited to hear all of that. This film, The Righteous, though, this is the reason I wanted to cover Fantasia. I think it's a rare opportunity that we honestly have a new Canadian filmmaker, especially somebody that's been in the industry for a lot of years, but emerges as something new. Uh, a Guy Madden figure, a David Cronenberg figure, a Denis figure. Uh, I really hope the, the, that we're going to put you at this echelon because I think this film is really important and I think it's going to be really important going forward for progressing genre in the, in this country. So thank you so much for coming on today. Oh my God, I appreciate that so much, man. It was a pleasure. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Why do you think that religious themes are sneaking its way back into genre films? Why now? Maybe people are running out of ideas. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I can't speak for uh, anyone else. I think in uh, on on our movie... You know, we had done, so we did Strike Your Mistress and then uh, Climate of the Hunter and then Agnes. So it's almost like kind of a loose trilogy in that they're all these like kind of female-centric uh, horror dramas, you know what I mean? Just kind of like the more disturbing stuff that you experience in like a Bergman movie is kind of what we were like capitalizing on in these. And I just thought, you know, with the way that... Um, you know, with the way you're like, you're blocking the, the, the characters and stuff that I was thinking like, ooh, you know, it'd be very visually stimulating a nun movie, you know, a bunch of nuns in a comet. It's so drab looking, you know, and you just can, and that was the idea. That was my like biggest interest in it was just visually like trying to like kind of block them like a Renaissance painting. Um, and so then it, just like everything, I kind of moved backwards. Like, you know, with Climber the Hunter, we found the location and then wrote the story around the location and the actor. So this was not necessarily that, but kind of like starting from, you know, visuals and then moving forward from that. What did you find was the hardest part about making this film? Was it really just getting that visual substance that you really wanted this to look like? Or, or was it something else completely in, in its entirety? Well, I mean, um, I don't know, all the movies are hard in different ways, you know what I mean? It's always hard to kind of like uh, get people on board with it, especially from the script, but this was like kind of the only movie we've ever written that that it was, we, you know, got, uh, found someone interested in funding it like kind of immediately, it was Quagmire. Um, so that's uh, Molly Sequin and uh, Elon Gale and Matthew Welty. Um, and, you know, Molly was interested in playing the lead and so we just kind of like took off from there and so it was like, 
it, you know, it all went really fast, um, which was great, which is how I, I like it. Um, and then it was just kind of like, uh, so it was, it was almost like everybody was on board and that always worries me. You know what I mean? Like uh, if everybody's like, oh, if I don't have to like fight much for it, I'm like, hmm, when's the other shoe gonna drop? But uh, you know, it never really did. All, all, it all kind of just uh, just worked out. So you know, and and also challenges to me have always been like you know, any obstacles have always just been kind of like I don't not something that I that I um, that I gravitate that I that I like have a hard time with. It's more of just like oh. We have to find a creative fix here. We got to find a creative fix here. Um, so I think that, you know, with any movie, it's, it's, it's like that. So this is no different. How much did nunsploitation play a role in, in your upbringing? Were you, was it a heavy influence in you? Did you watch like stuff like Ken Russell's The Devils? Was, was this like always in the back of your mind wanting to maybe make this one day? No. I did watch The Devils. Uh, I did watch Black Narcissus. Um, you know, didn't get a whole lot of what I wanted to do from there. I was really more interested in the the, the story shift, you know? Um, so like The Crying Game, um, Dead Presidents, you know, movies like that, that just kind of, uh, and then of course, well, so movies that kind of just like split in two, you know what I mean? Like, you know, halfway through, it just kind of becomes another movie. Um, but then also, you know, the second half just being, uh, it was really important to me just for it to not really have any kind of like um, uh, plot that we're following or anything or not. There's nothing that leads to this and this and this. It's more of just kind of this aimless like hangout movie for the for the second half. Um, you know, just because I think, you know, I, I like movies like that. I think they kind of just like, you know, they, they really work their way into you more. And so that's the idea behind that. And then kind of like, you know, to sum it up at the end with uh, the sandwich, the sandwich gag, uh, as it were, um, that just kind of like, uh, it, it, like I said, it was, it was, uh, everybody was kind of on board for, for what it was and just, you know, I had a lot of trust in me. So I'm happy with the team and everything and the way it turned out. Getting to play Fantasia. Are you excited about this? Is, is this a festival that you particularly wanted to play at? So we did, uh, yes, definitely, because uh, we did Climb the Hunter at Fantasia. Basically, last year, um, Climb the Hunter played at Fantastic Fest, um, and like then the pandemic happened, and then so all the other festivals it was playing was uh, virtual. So it was just kind of like, you know, we kind of thought, oh, that that movie was, you know, kind of done, and then Fantasia it just got this big boost from from that festival, and so I was like, man. That was the festival. And I just didn't know much about the festival at the time until climate got into it. So then, you know, getting into it, we were like, and seeing, you know, um, the reactions, like how many people like actually watched it from that and, and, and you know, how they uh, perceived it just made me think, man, this is, this is my festival. You know what I mean? This is like one of my favorites. So, so yeah, I was very looking forward to, to Fantasia and, you know, both years it's been virtual, but both years it's been awesome. So I can't even imagine what it would be like in person. What do you feel like that you've learned the most of your time making films and, and where do you see yourself going from here? Um, what have I learned the most? I mean, I've, you know, I've learned everything the hard way, you know, by making a bunch of movies. Um, I, I, I imagine it would have been easier to 
you know, do do it the right way, you know, kind of go to school and just like, you know, find what you find what you like. Um, I don't think I would be the same filmmaker had that happened, but I mean, I feel like it's probably the much easier way. I would have liked to have gone, you know, the normal the normal route, going to film school and then, you know, uh, you know, finding some uh, investors or something and getting your team together and making a film um, as opposed to making, you know, what, however many films I've made through the years to get to this point. Um, and as far as where I'm going after this, uh, I don't know, man. I just, I, you know, I enjoy, I still enjoy it. You know, I still enjoy making movies and I don't care what budget it is, you know what I mean? So it's just kind of like, I think I'll always make films, you know, whether or not they'll be, they'll, they'll be good or not. Is anybody's guess? Are you working on anything at the moment? Uh, we finished a movie in March called Country Gold, and uh, I am I've edited it. Now I'm uh, we're like doing sound and uh, color on it, so it's in kind of the later stages of post. And uh, it's great, and I love it. Can you tell a little bit more about it? Well, it is a. Uh, it is a comedy. Uh, it is in black and white, and it is a uh, about country and western music. Did that really excite you, just to like go into the comedy genre now, right after making like <laughs> as as kind of deep of a film as Agnes is? Yes, that was much easier to do. But you know, also I think they're all comedies. You know, everything I ever make is a comedy. You know, even even if they're even if with the. Uh, a serious uh, subject matter like like a exorcism film or religious horror, uh, you know, I still think, I'm still throwing in the jokes, you know what I mean? But uh, yeah, I'm definitely, at least after coming after Agnes, like, I don't know if I would have survived another serious film. You know what I'm saying? So yes, it was very fun to kind of, uh, uh, like a palate cleanser to, to do a comedy for sure. Now I can go back to doing something big and mysterious and dark and and serious we'll see is this also like a female-centered uh lead character it is not it is absolutely not what what have you learned the most from kind of this trilogy of female-centered main characters though well um you know I don't know, maybe I'm more comfortable working, uh, you know, I think I started to get comfortable, you know what I mean? Like work, working in that arena, working, um, and, and to, to the point of like kind of repeating myself with those three movies, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to gauge because they're all three so different in uh, budgets, you know what I mean? They're, they strike as so low, climate's in the middle there, and then Agnes is like a, you know, biggest budget I've ever had, all three really low budget in the grand scheme of things. But I mean, you know, for me, like they're just watching the movies, they're all three different budget levels. So, you know, they're all kind of, you know, capitalizing on, on the same themes to a degree um, and visually very similar. So, you know, I don't know what I've learned from that. I, I think I'll have to, we'll have to see what else comes after it. You know what I mean? Before I, before I'm able to decide what I've learned from, from making those movies. I mean, I've learned a lot, but, uh, you know, to, to be able to put it into words, I'm not sure. Do you think it's important that all filmmakers keep to low budget at some point? Like even let's say somebody like Christopher Nolan, do you think that it's good for a mainstream director to go back to the roots and, and try that again and 
honestly hone their craft and, and keep their craft going? Or are you on, on the other wavelength of th- the more money as you essentially get bigger? Well, money makes everything a lot easier and it just makes it a lot easier to, um, to uh, express your ideas. Uh, and I, yeah, I don't know if anybody gains anything from having to work so hard to, uh, to make sure their ideas come across on, on the screen. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what they, you know, there, there was that experiment that Lars von Trier wanted to do with uh, Scorsese where they, um, you know, remade Taxi Driver with like these limited means. And that would have been very interesting to see. Would it have helped Scorsese? Probably not. You know what I mean? But it would have been interesting to see. Um, so yeah, I don't know. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I'm still at a place where no one's going to be, you know, no one would have the, the idea of uh, country gold, the, the movie that we just shot, um, is not so much that I was like getting back to my roots. It was more along the lines of just like, you know, if I want to do something like wild like this, then I'm going to have to work at a lower budget because, you know, no one knows me well enough to to just throw money at me right now. So, um, so I don't know. I think if it, it's, it's more of a necessity thing, when, when necessity thing, like where you have it. Um, and so Christopher Nolan will never have to do that. Also a low budget Christopher Nolan movie would still be, you know, unreal. <laughs> <laughs> a low budget Christopher Nolan movie would be like 50 million. I'm sure. Well, what can we expect with Agnes coming up? Is it going to hit more festivals uh, in, the, in the upcoming months? Do we got a digital release, anything like that coming up? We're playing Fantastic Fest in Austin uh, next month. Uh, we're playing uh, another festival. I, don't, I just don't know what the deal is. I don't know if we can talk about it or not. I don't know if it's announced yet. Um, I don't think it is. And then um, there, we it has been... Um, picked up but one of those situations where i can't say who but yes so eventually you're gonna get a uh a, a dvd release or a or a a vod release for sure and climate's getting a, a blu-ray release too coming up soon so um and i love that because i'm still old like where i like the actual like you know physical thing um you do too i can see <laughs> um but yeah, uh, so I'm so I'm very interested in that. I hope you know all the movies when they get distribution get you know some kind of like physical release. Well, Mickey, thank you so much for coming on the show. I wish you nothing but luck from here on in. I wish you nothing but luck for this film. Uh, I think it's great. It works perfect with the festival, and I hope everybody goes and checks it out. Thank you so much. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This was the Film Cult Podcast's coverage on Fantasia 2021, 20 years in the business. Um, you need to check out any of those films that I mentioned at the beginning, Agnes and The Righteous. Uh, all the information is in the show notes. All the directors are there. Go check out the films. If a film festival is about to play in your area, go support. Um and not even just film festivals. Get out to the goddamn theater. Uh, I, I, there's no point in, in fucking around and sitting there. Get out. Support artists. Buy albums. See films. Buy films. I, I don't care if you even rented VOD. You need to get out there and you need to start supporting artists. 
Uh, tell your friends to get back out there and continue to support the artists. Um, this is where, th- if you want quality in the future and you want cinema to keep going, you want music to keep going at a high quality, start supporting the artists. Um, thank you for listening, though. Our next film festival should be uh, Toronto International Film Festival, TIFF. 2021 so that'll be coming at you soon got a few more interviews uh sprinkling your way and hopefully some really big stuff coming in the fall and uh in early winter keep it tuned here subscribe like tell your friends get everybody in on this it's just going to get bigger better badder cooler i hope you've enjoyed it i hope you're having fun uh but yeah get out there listen to some damn music watch some damn movies and uh and and support some damn artists this concludes our broadcast day <laughs>